if I've got, I don't know, maybe five or 10 minutes and I want a quick release, you know the kind, I know the exact toy that'll do the trick. Or I know the exact friction and rhythm to deliver with my hands in order to do it too. But if I want to slow things way down for a totally different experience, when I'm not in a rush, when I can spend some true quality time with myself, there's some very specific accessories that I like to grab. Sometimes I blindfold myself or I dim the lights really low. Sometimes I use a feather up and down my arms while vibey music plays in the background. Sometimes I get as much of my body involved as I possibly can. I run my hands through my hair, down my face, and I let my fingers dance all over the surface of my skin. I put pressure on my inner thighs. I take my sweet time seducing myself before ever touching my genitals. And when I'm properly warmed up and efficiently lubed up, one of my favorite new bedroom accessories to reach for is the Oh My C from Ioba. I'm not sure what mechanism is in this thing, but the toy has a little nub that rotates at different speeds, so it mimics the sensation of being orally stimulated. It's nice, it's light, and it's quiet. Sometimes the sounds of my toys can actually take me out of my experience, so a softer, quieter toy is incredibly appreciated. I make sure to take deep breaths as I let the pleasure and sensation build, breathing it throughout my body, and when the time is just right, I pick up the speed of the rotation and I ride a full body wave of ecstasy. This is one of many acts of devotion I choose to regularly deliver to myself. And it's not about what my partner can or cannot give to me. It's about taking time to be with myself in my pleasure, doing anything and everything that feels good for me. If you're looking for a quiet, high-quality, beginner-friendly, super-cute vibe that doesn't actually vibe too hard, my personal recommendation is the Oh My See from Ioba. See the show notes for details and a discount. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Chick. This is a Soulfire production. So I'm about to say a bunch of things that I just told you before I hit record. (laughs) Um, Jessica, I'm so happy to have you on the show to talk about polyamory, open relationships, attachment theory, and of course, sex, because the podcast is called That Sex Chick. But basically to kind of lead us into this conversation that we are about to have, I ask my community and I ask my audience all the time, what do you want next? What do you want more of? And the thing that we've just really touched the surface on and a few guests have talked a little bit about their experience with having an open relationship or um, having a relationship in the past that was polyamorous. Um, We haven't had anybody on the show to talk specifically on the subject. And so people keep asking, I want more of that. And so I'm so excited to bring the listeners a dedicated episode about being open and doing relationships in a different way. When I say different, non-traditionally, something that goes against the grain that people decide I'm going to do this thing in a way that works best for me versus how society has told me I'm supposed to do it. And so I hope that this conversation gives so many people permission 
insights and a, and a bunch of nuggets for introspection. Like, are you doing your relationship intentionally? Even if you're in a monogamous relationship right now, have you asked yourself certain questions? Like, have I gone into this with a lot of intention? Are we very clear on what our boundaries are? Is there availability for some level of openness for expression and the human experience to unfold like the human experience tends to unfold, which is all over the damn place um, at times. So excited for the convo, Jessica. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Yay. So yeah. my community says, I mean, and when I say community, I'm talking about the Facebook group. Specifically, um, someone says, I'm interested in opening my relationship. Who has resources or insight? And your book, Poly Secure, has been floating all around. And before we jump into the book and what it's about and some of those methods and theories and uh, tips and things, I would love to hear a bit about you. And I know from reading your bio info that you grew up in a neighborhood well acquainted with violence um, and a family impacted by divorce, trauma, substance abuse, and discord. I'd love to hear a bit more about how that impacted you and ultimately how all of that led you to doing this work. Mm, great question. How long do we have? <laughs> you know, as long <laughs> right. as it takes. Right. How did that impact me? It impacted me in so many ways, you know, and um, obviously there was things like trauma, ways that it closed me off. But there was also a lot of ways that it made me street smart. It made me super self-reliant, super confident, you know. Um, it gave me a certain aspect of self-confidence that I really needed in order to survive through all of that, right? Um, but then, yeah, the lingering impacts were I felt more developed, you could say. I noticed in my early 20s, like, oh, I'm really developed in my masculine side of myself and not so much in the feminine side where, you know, I'll say things like, oh, I don't cry much or I don't get angry, <laughs> you know, and I was denying my feelings. I was denying my needs. Um, and there wasn't a lot of receptivity. So there was a long process of, you know, healing those wounds and then just opening back up to myself in so many different ways yeah and so I think early on though even as early as high school I was just interested in like why are people the way that they are right and I became interested in psychology and that was my major in college so I think all the things that I went through really primed me to want to understand and want there to be other options and then in doing that you know, for myself, it naturally eventually extended to like, oh, I want to bring this to others. Mm, I love it so much. So what was your interaction? Like, how did you come to consensual non-monogamy or non-traditional relationships? What was it like your first interaction with that? My first interaction was probably when I was actually younger before it was even my relationship. Um, because you know, my mother's been married several times. So we'd have maybe like a holiday event or something. And it would be like, wait, if someone was new, they'd be like, wait, so that's your mom's husband, but that's her ex-boyfriend and his girlfriend's here. right? And her ex-boyfriend's still one of your dads, right? And it would be this whole, like, we're all here, right? So even in a lot of that discord and dysfunction, there was like beautiful connections that like survived 
the ending of relationships or the ending of marriage, right? And um, my mother, especially, is a very welcoming person. So if her ex-boyfriend wanted to bring, you know, his girlfriend and her girlfriend's kid, bring them, you know, and it was just that kind of thing. So it wasn't until I officially opened, though, that I looked back at that history and was like, oh, interesting. You know, and because of that, I had these experiences of how do I navigate multiple worlds and multiple family systems, right? So when I opened up, it was a lot easier initially than my husband that I was opening up with who had his parents are like still together, you know, with each other's first. Right? <laughs> like I was like, Oh, I know how to deal with these metamors and their partners and like all of those things. Yeah. So that was my first experience in that way. But my own true first experience, I didn't know it was non-monogamy at all, but it was just like early you know, explorations into sexuality with like group kissing, even like that was probably the first experience, you know, there was like six girls in a um, gas station bathroom drunk at 16, all making out. You know? <laughs> like That was the first experience. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. So I, pieces and parts of that resonate for sure. My mom has also been married. Well, the, the total tally is five. <laughs> five times. And so, but I, I didn't see that loving openness for me. It was serial monogamy. Like this door closes and that person is no longer in the picture and they're ex like excommunicated. Like we don't even talk about them. That's in the past, mm. you know, and now we're moving on and here's your next new stepdad. <laughs> Basically. <Ta-da! laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I was kind of fortunate that my sister saw two before I saw the next three. Oh, wow. Basically. And she, we're 13 years apart. So she was out of the house by the time I was having my turn with whoever, you know, the next, the next ones. And we're, I feel like we're very fortunate because she wound up, my mom wound up marrying and finding real deep, true, long lasting, long standing love at 50. And it was just like all of these lessons and learning these lessons and going through this you know, kind of tumultuous, like, is this one going to work situation to finally find Ernie, who is my stepdad. And they worked together in the military, which some of my other stepdads did too. And so did my biological father, but, um, which was a bit of a theme, (laughs) (laughs) but they've been together now 15 years and that's her longest relationship. Uh And it happened after 50. And we are absolutely obsessed with him. We tell him all the time, like, please, can we keep you? If she goes a little cray, can we at least keep you. And it's a, it's a fun joke, but yeah, I saw the close of a chapter and there's no, there's no kindness. There's no openness. It's like, you are done with this family. And so it's really nice to hear just that, even that you got exposed to there's still love. Yeah. There can still be like love and kindness. And there was some of those too, where it was like, Oh, you're just dead now. Like that's how everyone's reacting. Right. Or just erase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to have there still be love is great. Yeah. Like, Oh mom, where did Bob go? Right. You know, well, there was, yeah. There was literally once I was looking at an old photo album. I was like, what's all these patches of missing photos? She's like, Oh, that was your stepdad. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Wild. Okay. So I also had, I didn't have 16 girls in a gas station bathroom, but I did have an experience. My first three kissing experience was in a pool drunken night 16 17 years old the parents were gone we were at somebody's house in a pool after and the three people came together in this glorious 
display is really what it was. But similar-ish to yours, which I yeah. imagine that there's so many people that are listening that are like, this is bringing back memories. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. So some people have experimented a little bit with consensual non-monogamy of sorts, like little tiny taste of it. And maybe they're not even that aware of it or they just chucked it up as like, I was a kid and I did that thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this term consensual non-monogamy, a lot yes. of my listeners understand conceptually, okay, consensual. I know what consensual means. I know what non-monogamy means. But to you, I would love your explanation of what that means. Yeah. So to me, it means that people have more than one romantic or sexual partner at the same time. And everyone involved knows (laughs) that's the consensual part, right? Or the ethical non-monogamy part is there's multiple concurrent relationships and everyone involved is in the know. It's transparent, right? And it's usually that lack of transparency that makes it cheating. So how would one know that they are ready to dabble in consensual non-monogamy? Good question. I mean, there's a difference between ready to dabble and ready to fully jump in. And there's so many different types of consensual non-monogamy. So probably talking a little bit about that first, right? Um, In my book, Polysecure, I make a distinction, a chart of sort of, we might be more talking about emotional exclusivity or non-exclusivity how open we are emotionally or closed um, or how sexually exclusive and non-exclusive we want to be, right? So a lot of people, they're dabbling might be with their current partner. They go to a play party, right? Or at a bar, they kiss a third person together, right? Um, Or they do have sort of a swingers experience where they're having sex with another couple or Um, you know, another person is joining them. And most people are comfortable, not most people, I shouldn't say that, people can be comfortable dabbling in that way, right? They experiment and it might feel safe to them because they're still together, right? Some people that doesn't feel safe or comfortable at all, of course. Um, And other people, it's not really about having multiple sexual partners. You know, it's more about the falling in love part. Like, having people, multiple people that you're truly in love with, invested with, and may or may not be having sex with those people, depending on, yeah, where you're at or who you are. I can imagine some people do it in a way that kind of feels like a good business move (laughs) too. I mean, I just, I just imagine like it's much easier to care for a family when you have multiple incomes and you have multiple hands and you have just multiple people invested in raising the family and supporting each other. And so there's certainly love and there. I would think maybe, maybe sexual intimacy or intimacy of some sort or emotional intimacy for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It is a good business family move. Yeah, for sure. I'm fascinated by that one. Yeah. You know, just generally speaking, like, can I live and my friends and I talk about it, you know, the whole, um, soft commune kind of idea. Like let's all get a piece of huge piece of property, section it off and then be very present in each other's lives. And so that we don't have to do this raising of a family thing all on our own. Yeah. Cause it's a lot and it's really not, I think how we're meant to be so siloed into our individual homes with, you know, two parents or one parent. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a thing. 
for most yeah. people. They grow up with one parent. Though there are times when I consider what happens to families when divorce happens or the parents split up. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's some benefits yeah. to that, right? They get another person. If both parties, right, mom, dad go separate ways and then they get remarried and then they have two separate families, there's just more opportunity to, and more people involved in the raising, which can also be, can also cause some things to go sideways, but. Yeah. yeah. Um, Elizabeth Chef's work, she's done longitudinal studies on polyamorous families and she's, you know, and interviewed the kids. Right. And a lot of them would say like the benefits of having these other people in their life that they knew their friends didn't have, you know, and the downside for the kids was there's too many eyes on them. They can't get away with as much. (laughs) Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So we spoke a little bit how one would know we have to test the theory and test the, test the waters a little. Right. So how one would know, I guess, though, could be, you know, you're really desiring more than one sexual partner, more than one um, romantic partner. Um, But it's not about I'm doing that to make this current relationship better. Right. That it feels like, oh, I really want this as an expansion to us or an expansion to myself or it's an expression of who I fundamentally even feel myself to be. Right. Or I want more diversity and difference in my sexual or romantic expression. Um, All of those I give a thumbs up, you know, when when it's almost an avoidance of the current relationship, like, oh, good, we can just do this. And I don't have to deal with, you know, what's really going on here. Not the best time. (laughs) Right. And I see that a lot. And that's why I always, I wind up having so many questions when someone says, so how would you go about doing this thing? And I'm like, yeah. let's hold the phone for a second. Tell me about the quality of the connection and the depth that you're feeling with your partner. Now, do you feel seen, felt, heard? Do you feel satiated, satisfied? Are you desiring more? Are you desiring this expansion or this exploration to enhance this other relationship as, mm-hmm. as well? And all those questions and more often than not, there of course is a small percentage that is like, yeah, we're just, we want to play. We want to explore. And, but more often than not, it's, I just want to get it, you know, him, her, whoever, I just want to get them off my back and stop feeling the pressure for sex when they can just go do whatever they want to do. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I, I have seen that work where there's just a huge difference in sexual desire. And it's like, great, if one of those people can get, you know, their sexual needs met more outside, but the current relationship also feels good in a sexual rhythm. Okay, great. Yeah, absolutely. They still come from that place of I'm happy with what I have here. And I'd like some more of this other thing or something different in this other way. Um, And the original or the primary relationship is everybody's happy with that. Yeah. I'm what, you know, what I'm being served and you want a little extra helping. So I don't know if that's what it takes for everybody to be satisfied, then great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Cool. So if someone were single Mm -hmm. and dating and kind of dabbling maybe for the first time, maybe even wanting to take that, if they've dabbled a little bit, maybe they want to take it to the next level. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I would say, well, if you're wanting to do it, great, go for it. And be upfront about it with the people that you're dating is the really important thing. Um, Because 
a lot of people don't want to do non-monogamy and they go even on a second date with you and they like you and then they find out you want to be non-monogamous and it's a deal breaker. And so, or you wait even longer, right? And then it's a heartbreaker. So yeah, if you're wanting to start moving forward with it, um, put it on your profile, make sure it comes up in the first date or in the messaging that you're doing with people and really, you know, get clear too on your why. Like, why do you want this? So that you can have your, you know, elevator speech about it, so to speak. Right. Yeah. How many people in the work that you do in the studies and everything and just life in general, how many people do you see, and this might be just an off the top of your head kind of percentage that you're reaching for, do consensual non-monogamy specifically for sex and do consensual non-monogamy for Mm. other reasons? Yeah, I have no clue on the actual percentages of that. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, but I see all of it. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of what I support too is couples who are actually wanting it for different reasons. You have one of the partners is more sexually non-monogamous, so they just want, you know, their twice a month, once a month sex with somebody else, want it to be meaningful, you know, but, and someone else actually wants a polyamorous relationship with somebody else, right? Yeah. So how do we bridge that gap? Yeah. Yeah. So to be with someone maybe even a bit longer term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that some of those people you think experience? Yeah. Some of those is the partner who um, just wants more sex with other people, but wants their partner to be there emotionally exclusive. It can be very threatening for them when their partner is turning towards someone else emotionally. They're worried they're going to be replaced is usually what happens. And there needs to be a sort of this reinforcement of, why their their partner is not looking to replace them, right? Right, mm-hmm. which is kind of wild because you would think, oh, the person who's having the sex might wind up getting the attachment. They're mm-hmm. like, I just think of all of the messaging that I got growing up, and people like eventually getting either being cheated on or being the cheater you know, because right. it's not consensual. And then it's like, oh, if the person has the, has sex outside of that was always deemed from, from my understanding, what I grew up with, like that was the like cardinal sin and don't do that. And that's so bad. And that breaks everything. Yeah. And, and to hear, and from my own experience, um, just to see like it, it's not necessarily the sex that's the, the threat. So as you said that, I'm like, yeah, it's not really the sex that's the threat. Cause it's kind of like, oh, you can just like get in and get out and they, that other person can be on their way, but it's the one that just kind of lingers. Yeah. And that challenges identity. Like who am I and who are you and who's that person? And I don't want to do this anymore. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then there is when sex is the threat too, right? Mm. There's for some people, um, sex and love are really fused, mm-hmm. right? Especially I see it come up as a gendered thing with males where the societal or familial places to express their emotions are very limited and so sex is one place where like love was actually allowed mm-hmm. right or touch or vulnerability is actually allowed so sex means a lot to them <laughs> and when their partner goes have sex like their partner can fall in love with someone else and they're like that's okay their partner has sex with someone else and they feel like all of the love for them has been taken away yeah oh my yeah that's and sense. so it takes time. To, how do we untease, you know, sex and love can still 
be, you know, partners, but aren't used. Mm. This kind of brings me to my next topic, my next set of questions that have to do with attachment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, What for those that are not familiar with attachment theory or the types of attachment styles, um, would you be able to give a little rundown? I would love also, how does that play a role in sex and love and in relationships? Yes. Okay. So the the quick rundown is, Mm -hmm. you know, attachment, we're talking about human emotional bonding. Um, And what I love about attachment theory that was created by John Bowlby is he really focuses on how emotional connection is our first survival mechanism. Because we have to, as infants, bond with caregivers who will take care of us. Otherwise, we'll die, right? We can't yet take care of ourselves for a long time. Right. So for humans, that emotional bonding and connection is um, crucial for survival. Right. And depending on how well our parents, our caregivers can meet our attachment needs of attunement, of express delight, of protection, you know, of um, responsiveness that's warm and loving, right, then we'll either feel more secure in our connection with them because we know, oh, you're reliable. You're showing up for me most of the time. And then if we feel secure with them, we grow up to be someone who feels secure in ourselves and in the world. But if for many reasons, not just parent blaming, could be, you know, reasons outside of of parents or caregivers control, um, you can't meet those needs enough of the time. And there's inconsistency or just complete unavailability or no emotional availability, right? Or danger or harm or abuse and neglect, right? a child will go and have an insecure attachment. And typically, if we haven't looked at our attachment styles um, as adults, we'll go on and replicate those same conditions that we kind of came from. So the good news is, is though, if we have an insecure attachment, we don't have to stay that way. We can move into secure attachment. And then with the insecure attachment, there's three different styles. So we tend to either become more um, avoidant, dismissive, like pulling away, you know, withdrawing from people. I'm an island into myself. I'm really self-reliant. I'm not needy. I don't like you're vulnerable. I'm going to shut down. Right. Um, Then the other one is more a hyperactivated attachment system, which is preoccupied and anxious. And that's someone who's like, they're in, you know, their partner knows everything that's going on. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of tracking, you know, what's my partner doing? Do they love me? Do they not love me? Are they available? They're not available. Right hyper-focused, right? And then the third insecure style is called a fearful, a fearful avoidance, which kind of vacillates between the two, which is usually when there has been abuse. Yeah. Every time I hear this described or I read about it, yeah. I go, what do you think, Lex? Yeah. Which one? Which one? Is right. there a quiz for this? And right. Do you want to know the answer? Yeah, there are many quizzes for this. And it's usually not just one. You know, we might be really secure and then we get stressed and we go into one of the insecure styles, right? Or we're with a new partner and suddenly we find out, oh, I have this insecure style showing up. I didn't even realize, right? And in non-monogamy, what I see a lot is we'll have different attachment styles with different partners, which... Um, can be surprising for some people, right? Mm, and I can imagine if like there was an original primary couple that knows each other for a while, just yeah. giving an example, and they have a particular attachment style that plays out 
And then either one of them gets another partner and they see their partner reacting in a different way. Only imagine what a mind fuck. Totally. That can be. Yeah. Right. Because let's say in your example, you're a bit more secure in that relationship. And then what happens is, is one of those people has more of an anxious experience with someone new. And so they're super hyper-focused. They're getting upset. There's all of this drama maybe, right? And they're first partners like, oh, you love them more than me. Like we mistake that intensity um, for love. Yeah. Like, why aren't you a mess over me? Well, it's like, well, because it's a good thing. <laughs> right. Well, because I yeah. feel like real comfortable with you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Humans are are very interesting. Yeah. Right. We want that consistency and that reliability and that safety and security and all of that. And then we're like, please slap me with adventure and risk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's what mating in captivity by Esther Perel really captures perfectly. Is these sort of contradictory needs and desires we have in relationships. Yeah. Do you think that there's a way that by having multiple partners, you can more or less get those things fulfilled? Absolutely. I think it does it really well. Yeah. I mean, multiple partners is definitely going to bring that sense of adventure and novelty. And it can really revivify a pre-existing relationship too. Because mm-hmm. You, you can't take each other for granted in the same way. And you kind of got to be a little bit on your toes. It's like a, maybe a healthy competitiveness. Like, ooh, you know, I can't always just be in my front clothes at home anymore. <laughs> you know, like, um, and so it can bring a lot of life back to certain relationships. One of the ways I choose to support myself on my health and pleasure journey is with a line of superfood products by Organifi. Some of my absolute favorites are the red juice for energy support. I love coffee, but reaching for that in the middle of the day can sometimes be a bit hard on my system. So I love opting for something like Organifi Red because it's mostly made of beets and berries and it allows me to support my energy throughout the day without any additional caffeine intake, which is great because there's no rest in the work that I do helping people who want a better sex life. And then when I'm ready to wind down, There's Organifi Gold, which is a blend of turmeric, ginger, and adaptogenic mushrooms like reishi and turkey tail. Life running a multifaceted sex and love coaching business can keep me super fired up. And this tasty superfood blend helps me transition into relax mode so I can be present with my babe and my pups. It also prepares me for a great night's sleep. And the best of the best in my book is the mental and digestive support because a healthy and supported gut equals a healthy mind, which is a lesson I continue to learn over and over again. Organifi Pure helps me with just that. Now, I wouldn't be sharing something with all of you that I didn't believe in or that I wouldn't use myself. So I'm sharing all of this with you from a place of love and authenticity. Now, side note, I was in the same Burning Man camp in 2019 with one of the co-founders of Organifi and I think that's pretty dope. <laughs> kind of tells you a little bit about the company culture. So, If you are looking for a better way to support your energy, your downtime, your digestion, your mental focus, or your overall health, check out Organifi at www.organifi.com forward slash TSC. The listeners of That Sex Chick get an additional 15% off of your order. Remember to visit www.organifi.com forward slash TSC. My partner and I were getting married in October of this year and we're really excited about it. Thank you. And when we first got together, I was like, Hey, you need to just know a couple things about me. 
because he is like very vanilla California boy. He's tan, very good looking. So his um, sexual and relational um, experience up to this point has been variety and it's Mm. been quantity versus like really going deep with any one particular person and going deep with one particular person and then actually exploring with them. So his idea of variety and, you know, is just like get a new person. And then I come into the mix and I'm like, I want to, I want a, a varied set of experiences with maybe one person, but also with maybe, I just want options. I like options. And I want to do this with a lot of intention. And so, you know, he is like my bright ray golden, warm sunshine. He has an open aura. He loves people. He could be around them 24 seven. And I am a, a hermit and I'm like a, the, the gloomy cloud that like you, like you want to just kind of go into it. Just, you know, there's like an alluring kind of essence. At least I gather that from, from him and what he describes of me. And so we just, I don't know how we came together. I mean, when we talk about our history and we talk about how we grew up and we're definitely a perfect match, but at the same time, we couldn't really be more opposite. So when we first got together, I'm like this sex educator chick that talks about kink and talks about polyamory and like my escapades romping around the world and traveling and everything. And he's just like eh, enamored. And I'm like, Hey, so I'm not sure how I feel about having a fully monogamous relationship. My personal development and my sexual development go are one and the same. And being in a relationship with me means you are down to go on this journey. I have no idea what it looks like. It might get really weird, but like it's a journey. And so, you know, and I, of course I outlined a couple other things that are like, I just want you to know what you're getting into. Like I'm totally questioning this monogamy thing. I don't believe like it's our, you know, that it, that it comes easy or necessarily naturally to us, but I'm still trying to figure out how do I want to live my life and how do I want to live my life right now while we're dating versus while we're engaged versus our first couple of years married versus, you know, starting the family versus we're 15 years in yeah, and we're 25 years in. I anticipate lots of change. And so setting up that foundation of, are you down for whatever? You know, like down for those changes and to know that this is going to be this way now. And let's, whatever it takes, whatever conversation needs to be had so that anything that we could want or desire in the future is available. Not that we need to talk about it and then execute the next week, Mm -hmm. but how do we talk about it way early on so that when we talk about it and we'd actually like it next week, it's not way far out in left field. Totally. Right. So. One of the things you said in there that I really want to highlight is you said like you met your perfect match and yet you still want to be non-monogamous. And so many people think that, oh, the reason you want to be non-monogamous is because we're not, I'm not enough for you. Right. And it's like, no, it can be both. It can be, I feel like I have one or two of my perfect matches and I still want variety and exploration and multiple partners. Yeah. 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 And that, and I think about what makes it so perfect. And what I would say, you know, him be my perfect matches because I, I really feel free. I really Mm. feel like I can bring up any of these conversations and, and it is just a series of, uh, conversations to have, and then certain things to heal or move through. And it feels so good to be matched with someone that's like, yeah, I'm down. 
I'm down for whatever that looks like. And that's challenging as fuck. And I'm still in, you know, that to me is, is my match versus like you complete me. Yeah. We joke about it all the time. I'll like walk into the kitchen and he'll hand me coffee. I'm like, I'm nothing without you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that also factors in. But we, you know, we consider ourselves right now monogamish, meaning we, we like to play. Um, We're not looking to bring anybody else into the relationship permanently or long-term, especially considering where we're at in our relationship. Not that we won't want that in the not too distant future, but where we're at now with like wedding and we're, we're really busy. We're growing our business and our company. And there's, we, that also takes time. Yeah. That's something that like people I hear, you know, they're not really talking about necessarily too. When, when somebody's like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about opening a relationship. I'm like, great. How much free time do you have? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a big thing is how much time do you have? Not how much love do you have? Mm-hmm. How much time do you have? Yeah. yeah. So that monogamish kind of thing is like, well, then we're just going to play one night with somebody mm-hmm. else together, maybe, and like create this bond. And maybe it's only with someone who we know we're not going to see for a while. And so a little play here, a little play there. And, um, you know, bringing that into our community, we're some of the firsts, like into our close knit community here in Austin, mm-hmm. even though Austin is pretty, pretty liberal. And, yeah. 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 And there's a lot of, pretty notable people who are open about their open relationships that live here. And so mm-hmm. it's of course not uncommon to hear or like come up, come up against or meet somebody who yeah. lives this way. But for us in our intimate friend group, we're really the only ones and we're not even that edgy with it yet. Yeah. yeah. I'm so curious if that is like, it deviates a little, but it's slightly acceptable, right? Because you're not actually challenging the couple. Right. Whereas I see when people are like, we're poly and I have another partner or two, people around them can get really afraid. Like, is this contagious? You know, because like, but oh, but in in some ways it is because it's like, oh, wait, you're questioning, you know, mononormativity. Like, if I look at it, I might question it too. Right. Or I might admit that I'd like more variety sexually, you know? Yeah. Or like, uh, the another couple will, like we can't go out with them anymore. <laughs> we can't be their friend anymore because you're, you're asking way too many questions and it challenges who I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> and totally. so we just can't do that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that they've really loosened up now, um, especially compared to when we first started mm. and, you know, it was pre COVID and we're going out and getting, getting comfortable with our, our friend group is very tight and it's been too ish two and a half years since we've all been in Austin. A lot of us like landed in Austin and like really close and right, right before COVID too, decently that year before. And so then COVID just like made us even closer, mm-hmm. but they got to see us go out a few times and watch, you know, Jordan come up to me and like whisper something in my ear. And then he goes in the dance floor and we're all out somewhere and he's dancing with another, you know, another woman. And they like, look at me. And then they look at Jordan and I look at the mm-hmm. other person and they look back at me mm-hmm. and I'm smiling. Yeah, and I'm like they're just dancing. <laughs> I mean, she did. She did come up to me and ask if it was okay. She did come up to me and ask if we were in a monogamous relationship or not. You know, like there's all these other things at play, and it's just like y'all are gonna, y'all are okay. It's okay. And so now I think that it's just planted a lot of great seeds of uh, conversation. And I work with my clients too. I'm like, look, I'm gonna guide you through these exercises about 
consensual non-monogamy. I'm not trying to tell you to have a non-monogamous relationship, but I want you to think about it. Yeah. About it and see what comes up. Yeah. I mean, I think even if you want to be, I wouldn't even use the word monogamous, right? I would use, because it has such a historical baggage of thousands of years, right? But like, if you want to be exclusive, great. There's no, nothing wrong with that, but just have it be a choice you're making instead of a default that you're enacting. Mm. Yeah. So kind of a conversation or a topic that's really interwoven in all of this that we haven't touched on specifically, but I know you go into it a bit in the book is trauma and how that plays a role and how that comes up too. Mm -hmm. And so I am curious because I really think now more than ever, this conversation about trauma, this conversations about all of these sexual preferences, sexual orientation, gender identity, all of this stuff is becoming, not that it's common or mainstream necessarily, but it kind of is. Like it's being spoken about more and more. And I'm noticing that there's a lot more openness to therapy, towards working on yourself, towards looking at what trauma is and how that plays out in life. And so I'm curious what you know, what was that, what you digging into that part of your work and especially in the context of consensual non-monogamy, what's that all about? Yeah, right. We're in much more of a trauma-informed world now than probably ever before. Yeah, I mean, what I would notice is, okay, I mean, with any relationship, we bring our traumas to them, not always easy, right? And relationship is, can be a beautiful place to work on and heal our traumas. But then I started to see these specific traumas or ruptures occurring for people who are non-monogamous. I was like, oh, this is, there's no support for this. There's no language for this, right? Of what people's experiences can be, right? And so of course, some of them are attachment ruptures is that people open up and the structure of non-monogamy is not as structurally, you know, secure as monogamy is, especially at like a societal level. Um, And people really start to have all these insecure attachment experiences that they may have never even had before. And then of course, all new traumas or, you know, I think even with myself in my, when I was in monogamous relationships, a lot of my patterns with my parents would come up, you know, okay, this is mom stuff, this is dad stuff. But it wasn't until I was non-monogamous that like, oh, stepmom stuff was coming up with the metamor. <laughs> like, I never had to get triggered in that way when I was monogamous, right? So there's just so many ways that our traumas can play out. And so many ways that the non-monogamous um culture can unintentionally sometimes even, you know, bring ruptures to people. Yeah. So you've used the word now a couple of times. I know what it means, but I know some listeners might go, did she, what did Metis, what? Metamore. Oh yeah. Your partner's partner. Yeah. Your partner's partner. Exactly. So if my husband is dating another person, that person is my metamore. We're, We're not romantically involved, but we're connected through a shared partner. Does it mean in between love? I don't remember like what the Latin word is for it, right? But it's the person you love's lover. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of like an in-law is, you know, some of the way some people think of it. Yeah. And like you said, like stepmom stuff. Right. It's like, oh, you're in my life and I have no control and I'm supposed to love you and shit's coming up. 
right. I didn't choose you. Right. And some metamorph relationships are so beautiful, like, you know, deep friendships or beyond friendships. It feels like family. There's such a sense of tribe, you know, like, uh, a partner and their two other partners with metamors are all raising the kids together. Right. Something like that. And then there's situations where, yeah, you don't like your metamor at all. And, you know, you have want nothing to do with them. And that happens too. Hmm. Yeah. So how do you think someone can potentially unpack their trauma mm-hmm. um, in a way that can lead them to having more fulfilling sex? And of course, deeper and better love in relationships. Mm, good. Um, I realized you asked a question earlier too about the attachment styles and sex. Should we go back to that for a second? And then maybe yeah, we yes. get into this. Yeah, yeah. I want it all. Okay, good. Um, Cause that's not something I actually even, I think I mentioned sex a little bit in the book, um, but I don't talk about the styles and sex. And so, I mean, the research shows that people who are more securely attached or secure in their relationships, they have better sex. And there's more of a likelihood to explore sexually, to feel safe sexually, and just more satisfying sex all around, which is awesome. So it really says a lot of how we need to feel safe and secure, you know, um, with our partners to really go and take risks sexually, right? And to let ourselves go sexually. Um, and then the insecure styles are going to look pretty different. Um, and this is where it becomes an issue sometimes because we can take certain behaviors. So what happens is if someone who's more avoidant dismissive is going to maybe turn more towards one night stands and, and casual hookups, right? The problem is, is I don't want people to hear that right now and say, oh, therefore people who do one night stands and hookups are avoidant dismissive attachment. That's not, they're not the same thing, right? Um, people who are more anxious, preoccupied are going to have sex really quickly in ways that they may not actually want. They're doing it to sort of secure the relationship, right? Oh, okay. If I have sex with you sooner than later, you'll stay. Right. And they often wind up, um, or they can wind up consenting and air quotes to things that they're not actually truly wanting. Right. So they, so both styles and the disorganized is going to have its variety in there too are going to have less sexual satisfaction overall, which is really interesting. So, but in terms of healing trauma, um, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. You know, um, is there any questions you have about that actually? Yeah. I mean, for people who are hearing this and they're like, well, I've never, I'm not really done much work on my trauma. I don't really know what's going on in there, but I've got some patterns and I've got some qualities that keep showing up. Or yeah. I keep doing the same thing. I change. I change the part partner out, but the same thing same winds up playing. Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's that. I think is sometimes people will think trauma, and they think like trauma to the body is yeah. like a force or a punch or a something hurt like in that way. And so I think sometimes people think trauma. They just have like that. Maybe they are not really sure how common it is, mm-hmm. and, and emotionally speaking, and what what role it really plays. Yeah, exactly. Right. Trauma is not just trauma to the body. Of course, that is one version, but trauma is like it's the word trauma comes from the word wounds. So just thinking of what are the wounds that you have um, emotionally, psychologically, relational wounds, um, like 
group community wounds, societal wounds, right? And when these things are not sort of brought into the light and given attention and process, however we do that, whether that's with therapy, that's through reading a book, that's through, you know, plant medicine work, through tantric practices, there's so many ways, but, you know, it's really about sort of a new relationship to those wounds. So they're not in the driver's seat playing out the pattern, right? Where we feel like, yes, that is something that happened to me and I have grown from it. And now I am sort of, you know, a sovereign person. Right? Mm. Yeah. And why would someone want to do that? I mean, yeah. you kind of more or less answered it. Yeah. But just one more time for the people in the back. Yeah, totally. Like digging into your traumas isn't fun work to do, but is it powerful work to do? Is it um, beneficial work to do? Absolutely. I mean, just usually for yourself that you're just living a life that's not in reactive patterns, you know, that's constantly in drama or crisis or shame or inner critic, right? Shame and inner critic are the results of different kind of trauma, right? Um, you know, and we have medical, certain physical medical conditions or, you know, mental illness, there's going to be a history of trauma often, right? So just to feel better in your life, with your life, with yourself, of course. But when we do our trauma work, we're benefiting everyone around us, you know, all of the relationships around us. And, you know, we've seen a lot of shit this last year, um, socially, and it's really humbled many people of like, we're not as far along as we think societally, you know, when it comes to issues, let's just say race, right? And it's like, yeah, we can't address those things without looking at societal traumas, which means working through our own traumas as well. And we can show up at a bigger level for issues like that when we've worked through our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one, but there is also um, nice research that shows that we actually can grow beyond, you know, we do our trauma work and we develop further than we ever were even before the trauma itself. So it's a, it's a process of waking up. Yeah. yeah. And like you said, it's, it, it can be, I won't say that it's hard work for everybody because I don't like to generalize generally seeking, <laughs> but I have not come in contact with someone who's been like, yeah, working on my trauma and working through my trauma oh, is like it. easy peasy. Yeah. Like, yes, can I have some more, please? Like, I'll do it over the weekend too, you yeah. know? <laughs> you know, yeah. because each time you get into like a romantic, relational community, some kind of new relationship, there's something else there. And yeah. for me, I, you know, in my mid 20s, early 20s or so, I had a couple of like big breakthroughs where I was like, whoa, I am, I was lied to as a child. Mm-hmm. I'm from deep South Louisiana, grew up very Catholic. So I was like, wow there's other ways to live than this. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so I'm just going to totally throw that out of the window and pave my own way. And at the time I didn't realize like there was a couple of things that I just shoop, bypassed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm now going to just plug that operating system and I'm going to trade this one out, put that over there, plug this new one in. And now that's, that's, that's me. And it would go for so long before I would go, oh, I didn't realize I wasn't done with that. Yeah. And then it almost feels like regression. Yeah. It's like, oh, just I'm ready now. I'm in a place now that I can go into that and put a little salt in that wound, tend to the little girl there, parent her myself, 
you know, create some kind of resolution with actual people in my life, do some forgiveness work and practices, bring ritual into the mix, uh, you know, do that conference, have that coach, hire that therapist, all the things, and then go, wow, okay, that was a lot of work for me to feel better in my body, to Mm -hmm. feel like I am closer to who I really know I am inside. And that highest version of myself that I write in my journal, I feel even if it's just an inch closer, I feel an inch closer to who that is and that version of me. Not that I'm, you know, every day that goes by that I'm not my highest is like a day wasted, but you know, that person, that version of me that I hold in that particular regard is like, she doesn't necessarily have her shit together. She's just at home in her body. Yeah. Peace with what's going on and what is and, and what isn't as well. So doing the, doing the work, as they say, doing the work isn't always easy though. The piece, I keep using that word now, the piece that um, is available, I think, on the other side mm-hmm. with self, with others and relationships, that is so freaking worth it. And this, yeah. um, another thing, tending to the wounds and tending to the trauma, if if we as a whole would like to see the next generation, certainly our personal legacy and who we bring into the world to have a different experience, then it's going to take going to self. Yeah. You know, if I don't want to pass certain things down to future child, then yeah. that means I'm going to have to do the work myself. Otherwise, you know, I'm just going right. to fuck them up in a different way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We just overcompensate in the other direction. Right. Yeah. You know, no big yeah. deal. They'll figure it out. I'll make sure they have tools. They can hire whoever <laughs> they need. <laughs> so I love this conversation. Um, we got to touch on a couple of really important topics, of course, for people who are really curious about opening their relationship or curious about polyamory, which like you said in the beginning, it can look like so many different things. And we could have had a whole entire episode about what it could look like, you know? Um, And you mentioned it, whether it's people in the lifestyle and it looks more like they're swinging or they're a monogamous couple that decides to be like Jordan and I are monogamish and they play with other people, but they don't get emotionally attached or they don't, you know, see people outside of their relationship. It can look like, uh, that container, but with one other person. Cause I see, I see that we have a couple of friends that are a throuple. Mm-hmm. There's a person that they've both fallen in love with a couple, one in particular, um, wound up, it was like a total accident and they didn't know what to do with it. And like yeah. both, both of them, the husband and wife were like, but we love her. Like, what do we do? And I remember I got into their relationship right at that time. And I was maybe one of the only people that they'd ever met that was like, this is okay. It's right. okay for you to love this person. And now they're multiple years into their relationship. They have a house together. I'm like, fuck mm. yeah, like do it your way. And so, you know, you and I could have talked about all of the colors and all yeah. of the different ways. I want to give voice to at least the people who don't want a couple at all. Right. Cause yes. we talked about those and the people who are solo polyamorous, polyamorous or relationship anarchists who are not necessarily always looking to be a part of a couple in that way, but are, you know, in relationships for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I had a season where that was me. Mm-hmm. where I just wanted to have relationships that were in a couple of different locations. So mm-hmm. one was in technically from Italy and in and out of Italy. And then one was in Serbia and then one was, you know, in and out of California. And I was in New Orleans where I'm from. And so I was like, oh, I'll just go to you whenever I want to have this thing and we continue our relationship. And so I bounced around thinking, you know, 
that was a great season. It was certainly a great season, like keeping those relationships up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And basically wherever you're at in life, whatever you desire, ask yourself, what do I really want? And if society is saying you need to have a partner so that you can build a family and do X, Y, Z, and these are the markers of success in life, but you look at your life and you look at what fulfills you and what you want in this moment, what not necessarily you're going to want in a couple of years, but in this moment, you're cool solo, riding solo and forcing dating or even forcing sex is just like, I don't want it. It's one of those, like, have that recognition, put your hands on your heart and go, "Ah, I'm good. Yeah. That's valid too. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Jessica. So I'm curious, I would love for you to share how people can find you and potentially even work with you because this isn't necessarily, yes, I've helped many people ask lots of great questions and create a good foundation for their you know, open relationship journey, but it is not my expertise. So yes, yes. Well, people can find me at justafern.com, which is my website. And my practice is currently full right now. Um, but I am going to start something in the next few months where I just do like longer consultations, one-time consultations. So that is some, an offering that will happen that maybe people can step into. Um, and then if you subscribe to my website, whenever I have like a talk that I'm giving that's free or a mini course that's paid, you know, people will get that information. So amazing. And yeah. so your website is jessicafern.com. That's it. Yep. There you go. Listeners connect with jessicafern.com. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Jessica herself. And if you're curious about any of the subjects that we just touched on, topics that we just touched on, and you want to hear more, let me know because I want to go into the topics that you want to hear about. And so maybe there was an aspect of how you could do a polyamorous lifestyle that you want me to go even deeper into or an element you know, there's something about the attachment theory that you want more of, or something about, you know, you want somebody to come on and maybe talk trauma and somatics and how to navigate that and how to get your body involved and, you know, go beyond maybe even talk therapy. So just let me know what you're interested in. And I'm going to bring it to you maybe next time on the show. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you again, Jessica, for coming on the show. Yes. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.